We say good morning. Good to see you. You know what? We are desperate. We're desperate people. We're desperate for Christ. Because He is our life. He is our everything, is He not? And uh, without Him for one moment, we are in dire straits. And uh, what we're going to be dealing with today is uh, desperate need for Christ as we look at a couple of different stories found in uh, Mark. We're getting a real close-up view of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, as we go through the Gospels. And you know what? Anytime you go through the Word of God, have you noticed you get a really good glimpse of Christ? And that's really what it's about. We're here to focus upon Him. We happen to be in the middle of like four displays of His supernatural power that He has uh, just put on a glorious exhibit. Uh, Amazing power it is. All the miracles are. But these four are marked out by Mark as something that is very influential to him and to all of us as he uh, puts these in this section where we're at. The first two um, included the demonstration of Jesus' power over nature. If you remember the storm, the waves, the wind... And it was the worst storm of those fishermen's lives. They'd never seen anything like this. And, uh, of course, we see how Jesus has power to stop that wind and to stop the waves in an instant. And He did. And then He went across the sea on a divine appointment and uh, delivered that one that was the demoniac, the legion of demons that was ruling His life and He saved him, and uh, we remember that. The people, though, the way that they reacted were so frightened because the pigs were running into the ocean and they all went in off that cliff and uh, they saw Jesus and uh, they knew that He was something that they didn't want around there. So they told Him to leave. Can you imagine that? People telling Jesus to leave? Well, it happens. We see it throughout the Gospels. They were so frightened. They were, they were more frightened of him than they were that demoniac, and nobody went around the demoniac. The disciples, whenever they were in the boat, whenever Jesus calmed the storm, were more frightened whenever they saw that Jesus was much higher than they'd ever even thought. And they were frightened because of that even more than the storm, the waves, and all that was happening in that sea that night. They're frightened of Christ. He's a holy God. And so that brings us to two more that we'll try to cover this morning. We usually have been covering about one a week. We'll see what happens here. But uh, a miraculous display. This time it's going to be with a woman uh, having a disease and uh, a young girl who dies and he brings her back to life. Now that's power. That's the power of the resurrection. I can't think of anything more powerful. That's the power of deity. That's the power of the Messiah. The Messiah is here on earth at this time walking. And these are quite substantial, aren't they? In what Jesus demonstrates here. So these two miracles show desperate needs of two people. Two desperate needs. And that is a great picture of the desperate need of mankind. Because without His grace and His mercy, we would be people to be pitied. 
we are desperate for Him constantly. And you know what? The Lord takes the opportunity in desperate situations to show off His fantastic, amazing glory. And He can take something so bad and turn it in to His kind of good. He is sufficient for that and He does do that. That is His kind of nature, isn't it? So no matter what you find your circumstances in, He will meet your needs. Now, we're not a a needs-meeting type church in the way that seems to be in the popular modern mold of the day. It's about a meet your needs. Well, yeah, we, we know we must have our needs met, but it starts with Christ. He's the one that meets our needs. And He's the one to make us like Him. And He's in the process of doing that. But we have a long way to go, don't we? So we're, we're in the need of Him for eternity we will be. God's power, as we look at today, the, the two stories that we're going to cover is going to take two contrasting types of people, of society. And when you think of uh, the woman... She exhausted everything that she had. She was poor. She had nothing left in her situation that she was in. And then you have a prominent family, a synagogue official who's probably very wealthy. Things seem to be going really well for him. So two contrasting people, but things are not going well for him. Uh, at, At this time, they have something in common. These two people that probably don't even know each other. And yet... We're going to see that Jesus is going to draw out of here that He meets their needs. He meets our needs. These two particular people don't really have, even though they have physical needs and they have the social needs and they have the economic needs, there's a need that's much more vital because it deals with eternity and it's called spiritual needs. And that is what most people neglect their spiritual lives, the needs that's there that they don't even know they have. So we're desperate. We're desperate for the love and the care of Christ. All of us are, whether we know it or not. We as Christians certainly should. Uh, That need to have forgiveness, to have the sins taken away and be reconciled to a holy God to where we have peace with God. That is our greatest need. And He does that. The Creator of the universe The most important need He meets. He's sufficient. He's all-sufficient. He supplies everything. And God brings faith into our lives. He gives us the faith. He gives us the repentance. Gives us the grace. Gives us the mercy. And then He causes it to even grow in us. That's an amazing thing. He strengthens our faith and He takes circumstances that seem to be impossible He takes those circumstances and He makes us stronger. That's how He does it most of the time. Isn't that incredible how God works? We don't think the way that God thinks a lot, do we? Or we have a better idea than God. I would have done it this way, God, right? But He always has the perfect way. So what we're going to do is we're going to try to join the crowd this morning in the sense they're following Christ. So let's get into that crowd and get the experience that they're having because... They're pursuing this Christ. I mean, they actually see Him. He lived. He existed. He was real. He still is real. He's with us right here today. That's an incredible thing. But experience these things. This is not just a storybook. It's not just something that people did a long time ago. But let's get into this story and let's uh, let's see what's going on. Let's uh, let's first go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you are a great God. May we ever have it more impressed upon our hearts 
indentured on us in the fact that you are higher, 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 much higher than our thoughts can even imagine. And may we have high views of you. May we have a high view of your word this morning as your word speaks. And may your Holy Spirit touch every one of us and get the impact of what you wrote here. Make my frail words that I put forth through Your power, through Your Word and Your Spirit, make it come alive to each one of us here. And make it change our lives. And make us realize how we desperately need You in everything. In Your Son's name, Amen. Amen. Let's get right into the Word of God. Let's go to Mark. (laughs) Matthew, alright? Was it the other week I had Matthew again? I want to get back into Matthew again somehow. But we're in Mark 5, uh, starting at verse 21. We'll um, start with verse 21. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around Him, and so He stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing Him fell at His feet and implored Him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And He went off with Him, and a large crowd was following Him and pressing in on Him. A woman who had had a hemorrhage for twelve years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind Him and touched His cloak. For she thought, if I just touch His garments, I will get well. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately Jesus, perceiving in Himself that the power proceeding from Him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched My garments? And His disciples said to Him, You see the crowd pressing in on you and you say, Who touched Me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. And He allowed no one to accompany Him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official and He saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, He said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died but is asleep. They began laughing at Him. But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions, entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talithakum, which translated means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was twelve years old, and immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given her to eat. What a story. What two stories we have going on in this one story. This is combined together. So I try to put two of them together in one. We have a long section today. Uh, 
and so I've got to get with it, right? So we're out of the intro and into the verse, and first thing we see is a large crowd and the boat. We keep seeing that all over in the book of Mark. Uh, when Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, right? We've been seeing that everywhere. So he had been around Capernaum. They were in the boat as he had preached and, and taught, given parables that day, then went into the storm. So that was a whole message that we gave there. And then he got over to the other side, which he knew what was going to be there. It's going to be the demoniac, the man filled with a legion of demons, two men that were there, you remember? And he delivers that man. Nobody could restrain this man. He was the most dangerous man on earth, probably. Who knows? But the thing is, is that the man came to his senses, sitting there by Jesus Christ, and then the people were just astounded by it, and they were frightened. And so they told him to leave. He's coming back over now. He's coming back over to Capernaum, which happens to be the headquarters. That happens to be where, basically, he kind of makes uh, his house along with uh, Peter. And, of course, uh, the other fishermen are from around there, too. So that's a really convenient place. So we go to Capernaum a lot in the book of Mark, don't we? We find that most of his ministry is around that area. So he goes to the other side. He comes back, uh, gets out of the boat. What's waiting him? Well, another crowd. They're, they're waiting for him to come back. He went over there and they're going, yeah, he'll be back. <laughs> Nobody goes over there to the other side. That's the, you know, the Gadarenes. And, uh, you know, that's mostly Gentiles. We don't usually go over there. But he did come back. It wasn't that he was afraid. He could have stayed there, but he had one man who could testify for him. You know, he changed them. Everybody knew about that man, right? That demoniac. And why wouldn't it make an impact? So he says, okay, I'm out of here. So he comes back, and here's this crowd again. He can't get away from the crowds, can he? Of course, that's part of his ministry. That's that's kind of big. And so he takes advantage of that. Only thing is, you have one crowd that's sighing with relief that he's out of there. And you got another crowd here that are welcoming him here back home in Capernaum. And they're all pressing in on him and everything, as, of course, as he's going to get out of the boat. This is typical of society in general, isn't it? You have one crowd that does not like Jesus. Matter of fact, they, they don't even want to talk about him. They don't want to have any part of him in their society. And, of course, our society, as far as governments, schools, and almost any public-type meeting, uh, it's if you pray in Jesus' name, I mean, you might be thrown in jail. or That, that just is not popular anymore, is it? So a lot of people don't like Jesus. But then you have other people who follow Him or at least are around Him. Some are true and other people are really not. Some are there for the show. I think a lot of that crowd is there for what He can do for them or they just can't wait to see this power. They're fascinated with this power. Wouldn't you be? I mean, what He's done in this area and all over Israel. He's a celebrity. You know? I mean, He is known... Um, They're stunned by Him. They're stunned by His teaching. They have to admit they have never seen anybody. And no human had ever seen any kind of teaching like this. I mean, it's incredible. Uh, Nobody ever taught like Him. It's so lucid. It's so clear. It's so profound that they uh, are just taken and stunned by this. And yet He's accessible. He goes to people. They come to Him. 
You know, very accessible. A lot of people get the star status and, of course, you know, the paparazzi come out and take the pictures and everything. And, of course, they try to get away from the crowds. Well, you can't blame them. How would you like to be followed and hounded all the time? But he's always taking time to go to one individual, to other individuals. But he is the one, the one great teacher who has ever opened his mouth and taught absolute truth. And they're amazed. Most people can't disagree with him, except for the ones who want to kill him. People are fascinated with the power even more than these words, though. That's the thing. They see, they experience something, they want to go after that, rather than the words that he's speaking, the very message that he has. In this crowd stands two people that we know that are for real. And we'll see it by the end of the story. These two people stood in the crowd anxiously waiting to see Christ. Why is that? Remember, he's been on the east side of the lake. Now he's coming back over here on the west side. And this huge crowd's there and they're wondering, how can I get to him? I have to get to him. And the crowd is noisy. The crowd is just jostling around. And it's a dangerous crowd as it is every time. Because you heard of crowds where they actually you know, stomp on people and, and they're, they're pressing in. Who knows what could happen? I mean, this is really dangerous. Mark has already talked about that. And all of a sudden, imagine this. The crowd has to quieten because there's a certain man that comes up to Jesus, starts talking with him. And a lot of people, most people know who this man is because it says in verse 22, one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him fell at his feet. Started imploring him, begging him. This is a synagogue official. People know this guy. If you're in a Jewish town and you go to a Jewish synagogue, you're going to know who the officials are. And he's one of those. This is amazing. Because most of the time you see the common people, the average Joe, right? And that's who Jesus ministers to. And we know the religious elite are the ones who hate Jesus. They're the ones out to kill Him. And they're just waiting for that opportune time. But this is a religious person. Part of the religious establishment. And so he walks up to him. The Pharisees and the scribes, well, they walk up to him and talk to him, but they try to um, get him trapped. And of course, every time it turns and flip-flops, and they're in the trap. But uh, here we have a man with a real important position. It's a high office. A great esteem would be done by the community. If you had the mayor of uh, Jefferson City, I think most of you would probably recognize him in a crowd. And if you didn't know the mayor, then you'd probably know the governor. If you saw him coming up to some speaker and start talking, you'd go, oh, well, that's that's our governor. You You, you would know that. Well, that's what would be here. They they would know this this official. So it's got to get quiet because he's talking about what's he going to do? Is is he going to reprimand Jesus? What's going to happen here? No, he just bows down right in front of him. This man is afflicted. But it's not him who has any disease or dying. In In this case, it's his child who is so sick that she will die. She's going to die. She's sick unto death. So we see this man with power. He had privileges. And you know what? I think 
when we think of that, when we think of certain people, we think, well, everything just goes right in their lives. Look at them. Look what they own. Look where they live. Look what they drive. Look what they look at their house. Look at the you know every, look at their clothes. Look at the job they have. Everything just goes right with them. Everything just smooth. Everything's perfect with everybody, right? Uh, no, it's not with anybody. That's what we think. We put up these things in our minds and think well, everything's going good. No, no, no. That never works with anybody. We are in a sinful world. We're in a world that is dominated by sin and people can look good and we're all hypocrites. We all are actors. We make it look a lot better than what it is and I'm glad sometimes we act better than what we really are down deep because we wouldn't really want to be meeting with people in here if we really let it just flow out. Right? By the grace of God, He he does changes though, doesn't He? Well, in each synagogue... There are, uh, there's a man or a group of men, depending on how big it was, who acted as the caretakers, uh, the overseers. Overseer, that's later became known as bishop uh, in the church. And what happened in the synagogue, a lot of things that went on there is what got transferred over into the early church and the way that they would worship and such. Administrators of synagogue life, that's, that's what this man was. He cared for the things there, the scrolls. They had the scrolls, that was important. People didn't have um, scrolls that they took home, you know, New Testaments and Old Testaments and such. They wouldn't have had New Testaments then, but uh, he, he would care for the facility, make sure everything was administrated right, the facility was to be taken care of. There was a school there. The synagogue was the school. It was the place of meeting. It was where they, whatever they did, that's where they would meet. That was the important place in town. So he had oversight responsibility. He supervised. He would appoint readers. Wouldn't necessarily have to even be a teacher. He would invite teachers to come in. Uh, he would be in charge of prayers, uh, make sure that um, uh, you know the things were carried out in that place. He has an important job because the Jewish life—that's what it was about. It revolved around the synagogue and their religion. He was respected. He's a religious man. He is of mature leadership. So he's a local official. And he's selected by all the people there to be a part of that group of elders. So he's the epitome of a Capernaum religious establishment. Now, have we set that forth that people would know him? That's why I'd say all of a sudden this crowd is is quieting down. This synagogue leader makes this story really surprising. We have a synagogue leader coming to Jesus. A religious establishment kind of guy coming up to Jesus. Matter of fact, in in Luke, because this is such a strange thing for a synagogue official to do, in Luke we get, and behold, (laughs) behold, surprise, hey, check this out. It's no big deal for other people to come to him, but this is the synagogue official. I've spent a long time. I've spent at least five minutes on this. But do you see how important that is? Now we're introduced to that. He's not just an ordinary guy here. This is a surprising story. And by the way, I think he knew Jesus. At least I think he knew of Him. I think he knew of Him very well. May not have talked with Him before, but listen, if He was in that synagogue, the same synagogue that Jesus had come to that started a controversy, now we're getting into something, aren't we? What's going on? Well, He knows. He knows of Jesus. This is why he knows that Jesus can do something about this. He saw it happen. Now, turn to Mark chapter 1, uh, verse t- uh, 21, I believe. 
They went into Capernaum. There we go. There's the town, right? And immediately, there's the word, on the Sabbath, take note of that, he entered the synagogue. That's when you do it, on the Sabbath, but this is a day he's going to heal on the Sabbath. And began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching. He was teaching them as one having authority, not as a scribe. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, a demon. And he cried out saying, What business do we have with each other? What does the demon call him? Jesus of Nazareth. And not only that, but what else? Have you come down to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. That was a supernatural spirit that has been speaking. Now, Jesus doesn't appreciate the advertisement. He doesn't need it from the demon. But the thing is, they always do that. This is the Holy One of God. Whether they're making, trying to make fun, they recognize who He is. And they know that they are underneath Him. Jesus rebuked him, says, Be quiet, come out of him. The convulsion stopped, came out of him. Everybody's amazed. This is at the synagogue. Do you think the synagogue official knew this? But he's, What day is he doing this on? The Sabbath. Wait a minute, you can't do that. He did it in his synagogue. Oh man, what's, what are people going to think? You know. Well, uh, let's let's go to uh, ah, let's go back to our text. I'm taking a lot of time here. Mm-hmm. All right, I, I, this man is going to come bowing in humility to Jesus. Synagogue official bowing to Jesus. Uh, that's that's rather remarkable. He's pleading. He's begging. This is amazing. He, he's on his knees. I think um, the way that I believe it's the way that Matthew put it, it was almost in a sense in the Greek word that was used like uh, worship. Uh, it's a word that can mean worship. He's at least bowing and prostrating himself there. And you know why? Because he is desperate, and he doesn't care about anybody else. Because he has a daughter that's dying. And there's only one person that can take care of this. And she's going to die. But Jesus can take care of it. Synagogue official. All the people come to the synagogue. And you might have Pharisees. You might have scribes there. Oh, wait a minute. I might lose my job. He doesn't care. Because he recognizes who Jesus... What Jesus can do. Recognize Him as the Messiah, the very Son of God. He's heard that. I'm sure he's wondering. The disciples don't even get it yet. You know, they, they're totally frightened. They're saying, what manner of man is this that he can calm the storms? And now they've seen the demoniac and they've seen all the other miracles. They're putting two and two together and they're going, hey, he's a little bit different than us. You know, uh, he's definitely from God. I don't know what's going on. Uh, turn to Mark, um, Mark 3, 1 through 6. This is another time. We were in Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 3. He entered again into a synagogue and a man was there whose hand was withered. A man with a withered hand. They were watching him to see if he had healed him on the Sabbath. A man is sitting there. Matter of fact, he might have been set up. Right there, right from the very outset, that Jesus could see that this man is withered right there. They, you know, the Pharisees, they, they want to catch him in the act up there in, in Capernaum. So they might accuse him, it says right here. That's what he's there for. They put him right there. And what does Jesus do? We won't read the rest of the story. You can read it there if you like right now. But we'll tell you. You already know, don't you? Jesus heals him on the Sabbath in the synagogue. And guess who's at the synagogue? Right? Probably this man right here. Well, Jairus now has the need. Okay. See, that's 
That's God who works in somebody that recognizes the need. Most people are in a bondage. They are so depraved and they have no idea. They're in a cage. They're imprisoned. Matter of fact, let's make it even better. They're dead. (laughs) They cannot respond. And then Jesus comes on the scene. Draws people. Jairus is like the sinner who comes to Christ who realizes he cannot do anything for Christ. Did you catch that? He knows he can't do anything. He can't do anything with his daughter. He can't do anything for Christ. Not this Jesus. What a great need. He's in despair. And that's where Jesus meets us the best. When we are in despair. It's a common prelude to grace. When we don't know we have a need and we never recognize it, then we don't need the physician, do we? Remember the story on the physician? We covered that too, haven't we? Our need, our desperate, dire need is always God's opportunity to take advantage of it, to do something great for His glory to be displayed. (laughs) And if people don't recognize it, tough. His glory is on display anyway. He's a great God. So, we, we, we see the need, don't we? Okay, next on, I even have it up there, right? Uh, his faith. He has an infant faith. And believe me, when Jesus had been there in the synagogue before, I'm sure He impressed upon that man in some way, whether He spoke to him individually or not, that He made some kind of impact on that man. There's something that's going on. God's working in him. And I want to tell you, infant faith can be bringing great rewards. We see Christ develop this man's believing in the next events. I mean, Jesus really uses this situation and the situation with the woman to make this man's faith develop even more than he would ever thought. And that's not the way the man was thinking that this is the way it's going to be. So, the man's faith is in Jesus Christ. It's not faith in his faith. If I believe hard enough, this will happen. Now, that's the error of a lot of popular teaching today. In our lifetime, if you just believe hard enough, you work up a faith and you believe it's going to happen, and it doesn't happen, and then you, well, you don't have enough faith, and so you try to work it up even more. I've got to have enough faith. That's the kind of popular teaching. People love that. But the thing is, that's not what Jesus says. Have faith in God. That's that constantly that's what it is. Have faith in Jesus Christ. For whatever He's going to do is going to be absolutely what we want. Because it's His will, right? So the man's faith was in Christ. Alright? The synagogue ruler is actually, I think has some kind of knowledge about Jesus even forgiving sins. You say, well, how can you say that? Well, you remember that man? This is what's so great about expository teaching because it's just been a few weeks ago, a couple months back maybe. You remember the man who was put down through the roof? <laughs> that is almost a funny story. It is a funny story, but it's a glorious story on forgiveness of sins. That's what the man really needed. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. As the man was there, what a quadriplegic, right? <laughs> okay, your sins are forgiven. And then, then he heals him and the man walks out. You know, it showed that his sins were forgiven. That was in that town. That was at that house 
where the roof was taken off. <laughs> I'm sure that kind of news would get around. And he talked about forgiveness of sins. Maybe the man heard that. Let's just say, is it possible? I think so. I think the man had sufficient enough message with the healings that are going on and with forgiveness. I think the man had enough knowledge here that salvation can come to those who believe it. Now, he couldn't believe in the cross yet because it hadn't happened. He couldn't believe in the resurrection yet because it hadn't happened, right? What's the gospel? Talks about him dying for our sins and the third day raising, right? That's the heart of the gospel. But it's still there. It's it's in the Old Testament hidden, but it's there. And then we see it fully revealed in the New Testament. This is a transition time. Old Testament people here, but a New Testament time period is coming up. So how, how did he do that? Well, you remember in the synagogue there was a demon who came out of the man? But that demon had said, the Holy One of God. Hmm. Is that saying something? That demon just came out of a guy. This, is, this doesn't happen. This happened in my synagogue. He's taking note right here. That demon must have known something. Jesus didn't say, you're lying. <laughs> he just said, stop. Stop talking. The Redeemer of Israel. Could he believe in Him as the Son of God, the One who came to redeem Israel? Is He the Savior of the world that's spoken about in the Old Testament? Does He bring redemption from sin? Yes. That's hard to really catch all of that, but an infant faith knows that, what is it? Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, For the Bible tells me so. For Jesus says it's so. So Jesus had preached day after day after day after day. Every day He preached. Do you think that people were starting to get the message? John the Baptist had already preached. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe. Right? And that's Jesus' message. And He's been doing parables. He's been bringing it out in different ways that they could understand illustrations. I don't know how much the man caught. And it's not an intellectual knowledge that says we know that. It's the Spirit of God. John 3 tells us about the Spirit of God that comes on somebody just like the wind. You know, it comes, I don't know where it is, it's regeneration by God, God alone. It's not our own little thing that we're doing because we're smart enough, we're intelligent enough, we're better than our neighbor. It's not any of that. It's because God decides to come in on somebody and give them salvation. And this is a man that's getting this demonstration here. Jesus was ready to hear the plead of this needy man, the daughter that was going to be dead. Jesus is aware of your need. So we can apply this. He is aware of every need that you have. Jesus is here and He's immediately setting out. Jairus asked Him that and He doesn't say, hey, listen, Jairus, um, this has got to be another day. I just got to... You don't know where I've been. <laughs> you don't know... I've got to go and we'll run into you later. You're the synagogue official, aren't you? I'll catch you tomorrow, okay? No. 
right there, no hesitation. He said, let's go. I mean, isn't that how we meet needs? I mean, if somebody's in need, we don't push them off, right? We say, well, hey, what can I do for you? Or, or at least make yourself available. Jesus is available. He's full of compassion. He's accessible and He is available. He is full of compassion. He cares about this. And then there's this unanticipated problem that comes up. The man's faith is going to be tested like it hasn't been tested for. You think he's tested already? According to verse 24, they're off to the house. His heart must have been just beating with joy. Jesus is going to save her. He's going to keep her from dying. He's going to, he's going to make her well. He's anticipating that. He knows that. And on the way, all of a sudden, an interruption stops him. The crowd is going crazy and everything now. You know, a lot of them are following him. They're going to check this out. What's going on? And they just stop in their traffic. Stop in their tracks in, the, in this traffic. And Jairus has got to be shaking his head. He's got to be dismayed. We, we have to hurry. <laughs> uh, a sudden halt. Okay, let's go to the next section. 25 through 34. Now you get the woman that's introduced here. That, that's the part one of that story and it, it just stops. We go to something else. Think of maybe the biggest problem you've ever gone through. I don't know, you probably have a lot of them. It's hard to name one. <laughs> so, just think generally then, you know, about all those big problems. That some of them might stand out more than others. And that's the way it is for Jairus. This is the biggest problem he's ever had in his life. His sweet daughter is dying. And then, another problem raises its ugly head up. And when you have one problem and then you have another one being mounted on that, and you're thinking... This is all I need now. Have you ever done that? I can't believe this. I've got this going on. Now this comes up. What is happening? Is this real? Does this happen to us? It's happening here. You know what? Jesus is in absolute control of this situation. Would you guys agree with this? He knows what He's going to do. Matter of fact, about her being dead that would make this story even more glorious, wouldn't it? Or how about there was somebody else that dies later on by the name of Lazarus? And Jesus was told about it and He wasn't in any hurry and stayed around and had the campfire and everything waited a few days. And then on the fourth day, He shows up. By this time, He stinketh. <laughs> he did that for one reason. And He tells us why. It's for that everybody would know that Jesus... It's going to bring him from the from the dead, the resurrection. A picture of that. Same things going on here. Jesus is going to stop, and, and you know, Jairus thinks, okay, he needs to get there before she dies, otherwise it's too late. That's the way most people think. I would be thinking that way. I mean, normal people are going to think that they're dead. They're dead, right? After all I've been through, and now this. Have you ever had that? You ever said that? Oh, come on. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> Everybody has had that, right? Interruptions in life. Sometimes you can say, is this necessary? We might even turn to God and say, why are you doing this? Do you know what you're doing? Why are you doing this to me? Well, shame on you. <laughs> shame on me. Because we really shouldn't do that. We really shouldn't do that. Why? Because this might help you. God is never in a hurry. And in our time, 
we're more busy and hurried than any other generation ever in the history of mankind. Because we are flying by in this world. Man, everything has to be instant. And everybody knows if you if you haven't done anything as far as the technology, you're being you're being left behind. And so if you don't keep up with that technology, which which actually changes almost every day, you know, it's impossible for anybody to keep up with what what all's happening. It's just it's like a train that's going five hundred thousand miles an hour. Whoa, this is too much. I can't I can't take this. Everything has to be instant. But God is not in a hurry. So we we see the interruption. We still ask, God, did you really mean for that to happen? I'm sure what Jairus is saying is, oh, come on, come on, we got to hurry. Come on, what, any time now, it could be too late. Here's the need. Look at with me uh, here this character, verse 25. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years. An issue of blood for 12 years is probably, you know, a hemorrhage is related to, you know, women things, a bleeding problem. And it just kept on going and going and going. 12 years, a bleeding problem. As long as Jairus' daughter had been alive, 12 years old, or as, uh, let's say, ever since Jesus had been 20 years old. This had been going on. Scripture hasn't told us what's going on here, what what brought it. She just has it. She has a constant loss of blood, a loss of strength, uh, a problem that could cause all sorts of embarrassment. For one thing, it's a danger of death. It's it's serious. It's severe physical effects, and uh, there was more than that. I don't have enough time. We're time blows by here. I think in in our time more than ever. I think our watches are just. Shoom. But um, what was going on there with her individually, I want you to kind of put it into your own self. Uh, according to Leviticus, back to the law, and you're a Jew, you have to follow the law here. You know, According to the 12th chapter, uh, it's in verse 38. And then, uh, or 3 through 8. Then in Leviticus 15, 19-27, there in the law, we have uh, a woman is unclean for seven days. That This would happen on a monthly basis. Uh, uh, this woman's unclean for 12 years. You can't go to synagogue. You can't go to the temple. You can't do those... You can't go to where there are people. You can't, you can't even... How about your husband? How about your kids? You can't touch them. Because if you touch them, that's going to make them unclean. Now they're going to be out for seven days as a seven-day ritual, cleansing ritual. Aren't you glad we don't have those kind of rituals and ceremonial things that are going on? We are free from that kind of thing. But God did it because He showed the seriousness of sin. Those were pictures, building blocks. Um, Thankfully, that we're freed from that kind of ceremonial law today. But it was a good thing and it, it... kept them healthier in that way. That's why the Jews were healthier people uh, than the rest of the Gentiles in a lot of ways. But if she even touched a stranger, they're unclean. So they have to go through all this ritual washing to, to get them clean. Now she's out in the crowd, folks. 
What kind of crowd is it? It's a crowd where you're going to be bumping into people. She's going to get to Jesus. How's she going to get there? Press forward. She might have to get down on the ground and crawl, go underneath people. She's touching everybody in that crowd. Oh, no. You know, she doesn't care right now. Because she knows what the desperate need she has, and there's only one that can meet it, and this is her chance. Oh, man. And then it says, and she had endured much at the hands of many physicians. Oh, man. I think probably everybody here can really identify with this. You can go to the doctor, and then you can go to another doctor, and you go to another doctor, and they run you through tests, and you go, what is it? Well, uh, you have to get the test back. And they don't call you about your test, and you call them, they go, oh. And they'll call you in and have another meeting with them, and they will say what? Well, it's inconclusive. (laughs) You had that word. We're still working on that. I think we have some of the same kind of deals going on today. I'll tell you what, it can drain you financially. Even if you have insurance, you still have to pay for some of that. If you don't have insurance, you're sunk. And you'd go ahead and go anyway, and now you've got a big bill. All right. Well, this is the kind of thing that's going on. Financially, she's drained. She's drained physically, mentally, spiritually, socially. Every way you can look, 12 years it's been going on, and she has to take these quack potions, these medicines that they give her, superstitious methods to be freed from this illness. And it says she was not helped at all but rather had grown worse. She was even worse than ever. Yeah, they had superstitions they gave them back then at that time. They offered all these potions. Uh, The prescription for a woman who had this problem, according to the Talmud in the Jewish writings, was to carry the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen bag in the summertime. And then you'd carry the ashes of that ostrich egg in a cotton bag in the wintertime. Summertime, wintertime, or you carry a barley corn that was found in donkey dung, or drink wine with alum and crocuses, or wine with onions. And that was not very helpful. No wonder she couldn't get any help. Matter of fact, in Luke 8.43, if you wanted to look that up, Dr. Luke, Dr. Luke, he just said this. He just simplified it. More or less said, this is incurable. <laughs> That's really what he said. Just the truth. And Luke knows that. There wasn't anything that could be done with this woman. It's an impossible situation. She's in a desperate need. Spiritually, it's impossible. With men... It's impossible, but with God, right? Now, what about her faith? Well, remember, she's violating all the laws here, so that took quite a faith to get in that crowd. She's defiling everybody, <laughs> and they don't even know it. That's kind of good. <laughs> and she's saying, "I'm going to get well." Why did she have that kind of confidence? Well. Because of the many healings that he had done, some of the words that he had spoken, and I can just crawl in on the bottom, go through this crowd, and not even be seen by anybody because they know who she is. It's a big crowd; they're not going to recognize me, and I'll just hide out. I'll just touch Jesus, and won't even be recognized by him or anybody. And I know that there's power in him; that that will just heal me. I know that that's how much power is in him. I'll just grab a tassel. 
get there underneath and I'll just go right on out of here and I'll be fine. That's how much power she knew that he had in him. She had faith in, in, a, in a Savior here, a Deliverer. And you know what? Jesus honors this little bit of faith that she has. Not because of the quality of her faith or the size of her faith, but because of the one whom she knew that could deliver her. The healing? You know about it. We read it. Immediately. As soon as she touched, stop. Remember the calm after the storm? Immediately. Immediately. Boom. That's it. Stop. After all these years. Twelve years. Just bleed, 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 bleed. Just kept bleeding. Kept bleeding. Never stopped. All of a sudden, stops. And she knew that that's what Jesus did. And Jesus asked this question. Who touched my garment? <laughs> There's thousands of people around. And of course, the disciples would be doing the same thing. I'm sure as they said this, they're probably kind of laughing saying, uh, you know, you see the crowd pressing in on you and you should say, who touched me? Right. Right. See this crowd? How can he, you know, uh, why did he do that? You, you think he kind of knew who that would be? What was going on here? No doubt. He heals people who come to him. He healed this lady. And he didn't ask the question for information for himself, but to draw her out of the crowd. And it's going to come back to her. It could be phrased something like this Who are you who touched my garment? Who are you who touched my garment? He's pursuing the sinner. He could have just let it go. She gets healed and that's it. That's not what it's about. There's something deeper here. Divine power came out of Jesus. Jesus actually experienced something that came out of Him. A power. I I can't understand that. But He experienced this flow that created this woman's body anew. And so... There it is. He feels this that went there. Disciples don't understand it, but this lady does. And the woman now has the opportunity to praise Jesus in front of everybody. She was going to just try to get out of there. But you know what? John 2.25, Jesus knows what's in every man's or person's heart. Many believed in Him, but He knew what was in their heart. Many of them were not trusting Him. They just like the miracle. They believe in what he did. But she knows something more here. He's about to call one of God's chosen right in front of everybody. Matter of fact, when it says he looked around to see the woman who had done this. There's a human thing here. It's the word peri. P-E-R-I is a word there which we get our word perimeter or perimeter. He's looking all around. He's looking at the perimeter here. Right? You catch that? So he's gazing. He's scoping this out. And of course he spots her. He found this woman. Matter of fact, I think Luke adds it's like everybody's denying. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. You know. The woman is fearing and trembling. Don't you like this? He looked around to see the woman who had done this, but the woman fearing and trembling. And it's not so much because she's been caught, because he touched her. She's aware of what had happened to her. And as soon as something happened to her, this 
you know, she kind of believed that that would happen, but at the same time, oh wow, what kind of man is this? Just like the disciples, they were frightened of him. The people on the other side of the sea, they were frightened of him in the negative way. There is a holy fright. There is a holy terror that is good. She's afraid because she knew what happened to her. She had just been healed in a split second. Listen, when you're in the presence of deity, divine, you bow down, you worship, you are in fear. She collapses fully aware of the terror of being a sinner in the presence of God. And Peter does the same thing later when he catches all those fish in an impossible situation after that night, and Jesus says, "Hey, on the other side, and, you know, boom." I said, oh, "Okay, yeah, sure, you know." Then he realizes, oh, and they caught so much fish it sunk the boat. The holiness of God, people should cause us to be in a holy terror. We should be in fear of God in His holiness. Now, that is a reverential fear and awe of Him. That's what she had right here. And she has the opportunity to make a public confession. Right there in verse 33. The woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what happened to her, came and fell down before Him and told Him the whole truth. She confessed. Confession is really important, isn't it? We confess our sins. We confess. That means to uh, the the Greek is hama legeo, to to say to speak the same thing. Hamo same legeo speak to speak the same thing. I'm just agreeing with you, Lord. When we confess our sins, here is my sin that's put before you. Know what it is, and here it is. I'm telling you that it is. That's what He wants us to do because that brings humbleness to us and it brings holiness to Him in our own views. She told Him the whole truth. She told the whole story, confessed her sickness, the confession of her faith in in here, the confession of her healing, the confession of the need for mercy. She's just telling the whole thing and this whole crowd's around there and they're they're just gasping. I'm sure some people are going, she touched me, what's that? I know she touched me. She declared this in the presence of all the people. And then Jesus says, you need to go home and you need to get clean. Get out of here and get away from people. No, He didn't. He's not bound by that kind of riches. He's setting us free from that kind of stuff. That kind of bondage. Word of God. The truth will set you free. <laughs> this is part of it right here. And He said... Daughter, There's beauty in that. This is the only time that you're going to find this where Jesus calls anybody daughter. Pretty special. Your faith has made you well. She's a daughter of the King. She is in the family of God. Your faith has made you well. Was it because she was better than people? Because she's smart? No, it's because look at how God used all this. He, He set this all up. This, this is grace. This is sovereign grace. Daughter. Does that dispel the fear all of a sudden? In the sense, I'm sh- she's shaking and everything. He wants to get, okay, that's good. You recognize that now. Child of God. In Matthew 9, it says, Be of good comfort. Relax. Rest. It's okay. Be calm. 
Your faith has made you sozo. Saved. Delivered. Your faith. It's faith that He gave her. You're justified by faith. You're saved by grace through faith. By the faith that He gives you. You have a channel to Him now. Your faith has made you well. Not just physically. That'd be terrible for Him to leave her in that situation. No, He takes her all the way and brings her into the kingdom. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Be of comfort. Relax. Rest. Rest in this. Now, we'll go back to... Uh, oh, remember Jairus? And it, what about that? It's 12-year-old girl, man. This was an important story right here, but she's dying. She's 12. Okay, we've got to get on with it. While he's still speaking. As soon as they're speaking, right there while he's saying, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. He's speaking and they come from the house. Of the center. They're right there. They're running. They come up and says, she's dead. Your daughter's died. She's, de- she's gone. Don't, don't even bother the teacher anymore. You know, He's going to goof around out here. You know, that's it's it. It's too late. <sighs> yeah, well, that's well and good, Jesus, that you uh, did something for her, but uh, the, wee, the wee little girl she's gone. Don't trouble the master. <laughs> she's dead. Empty words that he has, right? And you get the word of hope from Jesus. As soon as they say that, but Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, it's all on the crowd where he could hear it too, said to the synagogue official, Jairus is right there, he says, hey, don't be afraid any longer. Only believe. Okay? Yeah, they, they said that she's dead. But just, just trust in me. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the, the official there. Oh, the trying of our faith. This man has had patience through this whole deal with, with this woman and her issue and you know we have problems at times and then interruptions come and the, the solutions that we thought we had they don't work and we are in adverse circumstances and the conclusions come out adverse and then we find out we look back maybe years later huh, he strengthened my faith all through that whole deal huh that's how he works. The thing that carried Jairus through this whole experience, you know what it was? The words of the Lord. That's what gets us through this. Have you been avoiding the Word lately? Have you not been reading the Word of God every day? Have you been avoiding where people can get together and study God's Word? The Word of God is what gives us promise and hope. Look what Jesus says. Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. The word of comfort. Something so simple. But there's the words of the Lord. That's what makes a difference. Peter, James, and John, they're the inner three. Remember the transfiguration? You know that story? Only Peter, James, and John went up with Jesus on that mount, on that hill. Peter, James, and John. To see Moses and Elijah and Jesus in His blazing glory. There's another time that happened. They went to the Garden of Gethsemane. It was Peter, James, and John. Not that they're any better than the other guys, but there's an inner three that, that lead this up. Of course, Peter's going to be the very first one who preaches the first message of uh, really the death, burial, resurrection after Christ has ascended. And of course, James, John have prominent positions. 
but he uses them. And not that the other ones are less, but he just decides to use who he wants to use and call who he wants. He has that right. So he brings them, and all the other crowd is back there, and he says, I just want Peter, James, and John, come here. He, he needs witnesses. It says in the Old Testament, two or three witnesses. They're going to be around him always. They're going to remember this for the rest of their lives. Matter of fact, they'll, re, uh, they'll remember for eternity, won't they? So they came to the, the house there. You have these mourners, and these people are hired. This shows this man had money. You hire people with the flutes and uh, the uh, other different instruments, or people are out there just crying. That's all. Some of them do just cry, and so you have all sorts of different things going on. Dirges happening here, and this makes it look like a lot of people are really sad for the situation. And that was the thing they did. So it's a commotion. Uh, people loudly weeping and wailing. I mean, it's loud as they come in there. She just died. And uh, so they got these people. They'd probably been uh, waiting around anyway. And so he enters in. And he says, "Why are you making this commotion? This is this is horrible. Why are you weeping? She's not dead." And of course, they're thinking, "What an idiot!" You know, I mean, she's dead. I mean, he doesn't know. He's he's ignorant about these kind of things. You know, and why bother him anymore? Isn't that kind of common? Hey, I prayed to the Lord a couple of times and nothing happened. So you know, I'm not going to bother him anymore. Common sense. But sometimes common sense doesn't make faith sense. He says she's sleeping. And they laugh in his face. You ever had that happen? You ever had anybody laugh in your face when you give the testimony of who Jesus Christ is and what He's done in your life? Who He is, what He's about? People make fun of it. They don't want to hear it. You know, oh, they try to change the subject. And um, these people, uh, Jesus gets, has enough with um, he says, child hasn't died but sleep. And again, laugh at him, putting them all out. Uh, he, he forces them out. I mean, he took people out of the temple before. you remember? You know? I mean, he's got some kind of authority. I mean, power, physically. And whatever it was, man, they left. And these people had to go. They, they, they got out of there. We don't, we don't need your kind here. You know, they were unbelieving people and they didn't care what he was going to do. They had unbelief in their hearts. And we need to put the unbelief out of our hearts too. You can say, yeah, but I'm human. Yeah, but get it out of there. Right? Just believe His Word. Here's His Word. Well, how can I believe it? Well, you've got to read it. And then pray that the Holy Spirit would make an impact with that. Right? Hey, a touch. He's going to touch the child by a hand. Look how gentle he is. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum. Translate a little girl, I say, get up. Now, he touched Peter's wife, remember? She was uh, a mother, Peter's wife's mother, and he just touched her, and she was made well. The leper, he just touched the leper, he touched a leper, right? He tenderly does that. Here you have a little child, the little children, we know he is gentle around them. And he touches with a hand that sooner or later is going to be a nail-scarred hand, nail-pierced, and this is the hand of infinite, infinite tenderness and gentleness. The hand of sympathy today stretches out for us constantly. You know that, don't you? And he says, Talitha Kum, or better translated literally, I want you to catch this. This almost makes your heart break. 
little lamb, rise. Little lamb, rise. In Aramaic, the tongue that Jesus spoke with at this time, not the language that the New Testament is written in, but he said, Talithically, to Lazarus, what's he say? Come forth! Lazarus, come forth. Did he have a boy who was raised? I think he was in his coffin, marching. Proto-resurrection. These are resuscitations in a sense. There's a resurrection that is to come for all of us where we will have glorified bodies. Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered death. He has power over death, folks. The worst thing that you can think that can happen to people, and He has power over that. This girl has cold, dull ears, a dead ears she can't, she can't hear, and then all of a sudden her eyes flutter, her open wide. The ears all of a sudden are open. The first thing she sees is the face of Jesus. <sighs> what, uh, what do you think that felt like? This is the servant. This is the servant in the book of Mark. That's what Mark is about, the servant. The servant has just served. He just served life (laughs) to this little girl. And this is a foreshadowing, just a foreshadowing of what is going to happen with us. We're going to hear our name. Somehow, someway, we're going to have new bodies linked with our new spirits. We're going to be with the family of God. She was with her family when she woke up. Peter, James, and John, Jesus, and her mom and dad. Quite a family right there, wasn't it? You know, there's going to be people that have just died and there's going to be a resurrection of them. Let's say Christ comes back at the very moment that somebody dies and they come right back to life in an instant. Or, just before that, you don't die and the Lord just takes you and you're translated without dying in this way. Or maybe you're, you've just been uh, you've been sitting beside someone, holding their hand as the breath has gone from them, and maybe it's about ten minutes later, and boom, Christ comes back, and there is. You ever thought about that? Just in a moment, the breath will come back again. Life, there will be a resurrection of a body. We will have a body, a new body that's glorified like Christ. And look at the response of this. Immediately, the girl got up, began to walk, for she was twelve years old. She has a whole life ahead of her here. And immediately they were completely astounded. There no, there's no words that you can put here that would be justice to it. But we only have human language and so all we do is do the best we can completely astonished in every way. Amazed, astonished, blown away. And here we go. We close this up. We're right at the end, folks. Verse 43. And He gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And number two, that something should be given her to eat. Well, two commands that he gave. And it's just real practical. You say, well, people are going to know about this. What do you mean, don't tell anybody about it? Well, he's not going to say, don't ever tell anybody about it. Well, she's going to be walking around. Uh, we're not supposed to say anything. You know, What are you going to do with that? Well, right now it's saying, you know, the people that are out there and waiting and everything, they've all, they're out there. says, don't worry about it. Let's give her time. Give her something to eat. She's hungry. wonder when the last day it was when she ate. She has been sick to death. Couldn't eat. It could have been a week. 
Could have been days or at least... She's hungry. Jesus knows it. And so he goes into something practical here. Keep the crowd away right now. Don't tell anybody right now. He wants the parents to enjoy this brief time of joy. He doesn't want to crowd around. He knows what that's like. He says, give them a chance to take this in. Their little girls here, oh, they loved her before. Boy, how much in joy do they have now? The crowd is going to be at the door. There's plenty of time for that. But he says, get something to eat for her. In all this excitement, Jesus says, something to eat? You see, he really does care, doesn't he? Even the food that we eat. And you know what? Even the most mundane things, we can give glory to God. What you eat, what you drink, whatever you do, give glory to God. You ever heard that one before? I think Paul said that, didn't he? That's what we're about, isn't it? In all this excitement and the difference between those people and the other people is the matter of faith. And it can make a difference to every one of our hearts today if we just trust in Christ. He's already shown us enough. But He keeps showing us. Keeps showing us. Just keep trusting in Him. I don't care what the situation is or what is going to come up later or what happened in the past. Really what He wants us to do is to glorify Him by being content in Him and that just means trusting. It's Something that we do, we live by faith and not by sight. We have the Holy Spirit to make that impact on our lives today even more than they had then. We have the completed Word of God, the Spirit of God. Rejoice in that. Let's pray.